Well, uh, let's get to it. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, we might have to call this series Moseying Through Matthew as uh, we've slowly been going through Matthew chapter 24. But I really feel that it's uh, befitting as the days that we're living um, are strikingly like the description Jesus gives. Because the disciples start with the question we, we you know, looked at a few weeks back. They said, when is the, what are the signs of your coming? And when will the end of the world be? And then Jesus just spends this whole chapter 24 and 25 talking about what those signs are and what it's gonna look like. And in verses one through 14, we saw where Jesus was saying, well, the things that are gonna lead up to ultimately the tribulation period, there's gonna be a bunch of things in the world that are gonna be signs of the times. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, uh, nation rising as nation, uh, ethnicity against ethnicity, uh, speaking of racism and racial issues around the globe, um, famine, uh, pestilence or disease, like all these things that Jesus talked about, these things will ramp up like, like a woman who's expecting a child uh, you know, with child labor pains. Uh, the Greek word is odin, uh, that Jesus employed there uh, in verse eight, when he said, these are the beginning of odin, uh, like childbirth pains. And that's frequency and intensity. It gets worse and worse uh, as the baby's getting closer. And Jesus said, that's what it's gonna be like. It's gonna ramp up. And he gives us all kinds of signs of the times. And then on Wednesday night, we looked at um, you know, uh, verses 15 and, uh, and on to uh, talk about the abomination of desolation. If you're wondering more about that, we touched it last Sunday, but we also did a little deeper dive on Wednesday night. And uh, we'll pick it up um, you know, uh, in verse uh, 32 on Wednesday night and hopefully finish up the chapter. That's the goal. Uh, but, but I wanted to draw your attention as we pull kind of a text out of our upcoming Wednesday night study. I wanted to show you a few verses here in Matthew 24 that Jesus gives us almost something else to look at as what are the days gonna be like? Um, well, he gives us something to think about. He's, he, and it's, he calls it the days of Noah. What do the days of Noah have to do with the last days? Well, Jesus says it's gonna be very much similar as the days of Noah. So it'll do us well to think about that. Let's take a look, it's Matthew chapter 24. We begin in verse 36. There it says in verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the, also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the, the, the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. One of the attributes that Jesus gives us here is the days of Noah, and it'll be like the days of Noah in the sense of a couple things. But one of the main things is, is the suddenness and the unawareness of, of what's happening. Uh, that's the idea when they were giving people in marriage and eating and drinking, they were just going on with life as usual, everything's normal, and then suddenly the flood came and took them all away. Um, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Now, by the way, he starts off this section once again, as it's often stated in the Bible, no man knows the day nor the hour, not even the angels, but the Father that's in heaven. And I, I need to remind us, because some people hear that verse alone, and they say, well, if no man knows the day or the hour, then forget about it, whatever. We're just gonna live our lives and wait till it happens because nobody knows the day or the hour. 
Is that what Jesus wants us to take away from this? Um, that's, that's to exclude the rest of the chapter. Um, there are people and pastors in churches that take that approach. Well, Jesus said, you'll never know the day of the hour, so whatever. Forget about Bible prophecy, don't talk about it. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said, you won't know the day or the hour, but then he says, but the seasons and the times, you're gonna know the general vicinity of, of the sense of when the end is coming so that you as Christians will not be overtaken like they were during the flood. Remember we read in 1 Thessalonians, Paul said in chapter five, he said, um, you Christians are children of the light, children of the day. You're not gonna be taken like a thief in the night, but you're gonna know the times and the seasons. Paul said, I don't even need to talk to you about the times and seasons because you already know because you're people that are enlightened is the idea. How are we enlightened? Jesus tells us, here's the signs of the times. And over and over and over again, Jesus says, be watchful, be sober, be vigilant. Don't be like the servants says, ah, the Lord delays is coming, so forget about it. But, uh, but instead, we're supposed to be knowledgeable and not ignorant concerning the times. That's the exact language, don't be ignorant. It says it several times in context of end time stuff. Don't be ignorant, don't be ignorant, don't be ignorant. It says it three times about end time stuff in the Bible. So the days of Noah, um, what do those have to do with anything? Well, the days of Noah, uh, Jesus, by the way, is doing something here. Take a little sideline notion here for a second. One of the things I love about Jesus referring to these Old Testament stories, I love them because um, Jesus is referring to a very controversial story. There's cardigan, sweater-wearing, pipe-puffing college professors that are saying, the flood of the world never happened. That's just Christians being wacko, talking about a global flood. Uh, and they, they sit there and act like they know stuff. Um, but, and they act like, you know, the book of Genesis is a farce and creation, you know, and all this and evolution. You, you, you basically get these people saying, you know, uh, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. But I do find it interesting that Jesus himself signs his name to the story of Noah and the flood right here which does do something. I wouldn't say it's an airtight argument that's gonna put down the college professor you know, and his logic and all that stuff, but it does let us know where he stands concerning Jesus. Um, when I was in school, you know, it's, it's always funny to me, you know, these poor 18-year-old kids fresh out of high school, and then the cardigan sweater wearing, pipe-buffing, you know, 65-year-old professor who's been arguing with 18-year-olds for 40 years. They're pretty good at it, making 18-year-olds not feel so smart. And they seem to get a joy out of that. But once in a while, they bump into someone who kind of knows stuff uh, and they make a good argument. But I wasn't really that guy knowing everything. But I did, I, I did notice it was awkward when I would ask this question in, in my college classes. The professor saying, well, the flood, we know that that didn't happen. And then I like to say, well, so you're saying that you know more about the flood of Noah than Jesus Christ. Is that correct? And, and I always got a little bit of joy when that guy would say, yes, I do. I know more than Jesus because at least some of the kids in the class would go, wow, he thinks he's smarter than Jesus. Like that's a little bit weird. Uh, you have to be kind of audacious to make such a claim. Um, so that at least lets us know where you stand. You're smarter than Jesus. Um, and, he, and, and Jesus does that with all kinds of things. Like for example, um, you know, the, the, the story of Jonah and the big fish, Jesus refers to that. One of the real controversial things that you know, academia likes to put down. Or even the creation itself versus the whole evolutionary process. The thing about evolution is it flies in the face of what the Bible says that no one is gonna have an excuse, Romans chapter one says, because of creation. All of creation speaks of the glory of God and his, his brilliance and his power. 
But those that, the Roman says, those that refuse to be thankful for God's creation, they become foolish and vain in their own imaginations, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. If there's one thing that's happened in the last few years, I hope that you're at least questioning what people call so-called science. Bible even says in the last days, people will call things science, but it'll be science falsely so-called, the Bible says. Uh, we're seeing that today. Uh, we could talk about a lot of things that were deemed science in the last couple of years that now uh, real science is saying, yeah, that wasn't so much science as, as, as a political agenda. One of those things, by the way, uh, the greatest probably of all is the issue of creation. Um, and uh, the story of all, from creation all the way to Noah's Ark is a very questionable uh, you know, fight between uh, secularists and Christians. I'm amazed that evolution continues to hang on the theory. It's a theory of evolution. And some of you might say, well, Brett, you're not a scientist, you're a Bible teacher, and so what do you know? Well, um, can I just say, be careful, those of you that have leaned on so-called science for so long, because I think it'd be wise to kind of rethink some of that stuff, because even real scientists are starting to say, evolution's not a great one. What does evolution say? Well, in, in layman's terms, it's saying that things have evolved over billions and billions of years, things have gotten better and better. Um, and, you know, it basically went from an explosion, the Big Bang, as, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, is such a big proponent of. And the Big Bang happened, and then out of that Big Bang came, uh, you know, the prebiotic soup that was then struck by lightning, and somehow it started a life combusted out of that soup. And it went from that gooish uh, prebiotic soup, from goo to you. It just took billions and billions of years. Do you really believe that? First of all, let me just say, uh, you know, um, what in the cosmos, what model in the universe has anything going from disorder to order? There's nothing in the universe that goes from disorder to order. In fact, it's one of our physical laws, as, as scientists call it, the laws of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics. Basically, it says that, that everything is spiraling out or um, losing energy. Uh, it's going from order to disorder. And if you don't believe that, just look in the mirror. <laughs> the older you get, it's going from order, 18, to disorder, 19. You're going downhill from there. Uh, it's a funny thing. Now, um, science wants you and me to believe that, that out of total disaster, a, a explosion, the Big Bang, things just by a, a, a crazy set of circumstances, and what a coincidence that all the elements went together in the proper way, and the planets aligned where the gravitational poles would keep everything perfectly in, in its, in, in its uh, trajectory, and, and all the things that would, 700 things that need to happen to make life on Earth sustainable and, and real, um, all those things just happened by an accidental set of circumstances, and meanwhile, how accidental but amazing when that lizard came out of the ocean and had a freckle, but it was blind as a bat, but that freckle was sensitive to light somehow. And the next, the baby uh, lizard came out with the same freckle, but it was even more sensitive. And after billions of years of freckles, it actually became an eyeball. That's what, they're, that's what they're arguing. The reason I argue this point about entropy and what have you is, um, which one's harder to believe? Is it harder to believe that just an accidental set of circumstances happened and all this, what we see, the complexity of what we see, 
Um, is, it, is it hard to believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? That is a pre-existent God who always existed. That's what we believe. So the problem of first cause is actually solved because Christians believe God exists and always has been. He's eternal. He's not limited to time and space and those laws. Um, and he created the heavens and the earth. I know that's a stretch, but which one's a bigger stretch? We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. The evolution believe that nothing happened and it became something. That, that, that's fantasy right there, like crazy. You know, I always, I always love the illustration. Let's say we go down to PDX, the Portland airport, and we find a huge hangar where they normally would house a 747, Boeing. And in that hangar, we pile up all the parts needed for a Boeing 747, rivets, bolts, nuts, the leather for the first class seats, and all the fancy stuff for the 747, the wheels, the tires, all piled up in a big pile. And then you take that hanger and close the door. And suddenly a huge earthquake happens. 10.0 on the Richter. And the hanger shakes. Here's my question. How long would it take for the hanger to shake? For all the parts to just kind of tumble around and sort of accidentally connect in the right place. And the bolts fall into place and without being cross-threaded and, and just kind of work their way in and, and get tight enough. And, and pretty soon all the stuff comes together. And, and after how long, how many, how, how many years would you need of shaking for that 747 to become a thing? A real 747. You say, but that's crazy, a 747 from, from just shaking a box, come on. Do you know that the 747 is nothing technologically the amount of information to make a 747 is nothing compared to your polynucleotide strands of your DNA. And the sequence that is required for you to exist is a very complex structure and sequence. And, and if that sequence is not right, it's called mutation, which then we have all kinds of problems. So what, what, what the, the scientists are trying to tell, so-called the evolution theorists uh, are saying, yeah, that's why it takes billions and billions of years. They require that. And I'm just saying, it's so much wiser just to say, well, um, why would we try to believe fantasy and just trust science when really uh, the Bible tells us this is what happened. Um, creation, God created the heavens and the earth, and I believe he created the earth in perfection. Now, the Bible tells us that when man sinned, the world started to spiral out of control, and this starts to get to the days of Noah, and this is why we wanna mention this, because um, the, the antediluvian world, which is a fancy word for the pre-flood world, was very different than the world that we know. Now, do we know all about that? We don't, we have some theories. And by the way, one of my favorite um, um, books you can get out there, and you know, if you know me, I don't recommend books that often other than the Bible, because I think it's a really top bestseller. It's a really good, I highly recommend the Bible. But um, uh, one other book that I'll recommend uh, that I love, if you're interested, is there's an old guy, he's in heaven now, but his name is Henry M. Morris. And he wrote a book, he's a Christian apologist and, and a brilliant kind of engineering sort of mind. You engineer people will like Henry Morris. Um, but he wrote a book called The Genesis Record. It's a big, thick book, but it's, it's real readable. But he kind of shows what um, various views of scientific theory on the, the pre-flood world. And there's some interesting stuff in there that's kind of fun to read. Um, theories about what was the world like? And, and the things the Bible tells us, it's so strange. People lived to be over 900 years. How is that possible? Again, there's people who say, well, you believe people lived 900 years? Well, that's what the Bible says. What was a year in the antediluvian world? Was it the same as our year? Could have been. Um, well, then how did they live so long? Oh, there's all kinds of theories. 
Um, before the flood, most of those that study these things don't even believe rain existed before um, the flood. The Bible sort of indicates that, that rain didn't happen. Well, then where did people get their water? Well, the whole hydrological system was probably very different than what we see uh, today. Um, where did all the water for the flood come from? Um, the Bible tells us it came from the firmament up in the uh, sort of atmosphere, but also it came from the earth below. Uh, and the Bible treats it almost like equally, water gushing up from the earth and water coming down from the heavens. Um, was that rain? Some people say, no, it wasn't rain. It was actually a collapse of what? Um, think about this. Uh, you know the furry woolly mammoth? They found them perfectly preserved in, during the ice age, right? I mean, you can, they, they found these beasts and when they were instantly frozen, they were preserved like they died yesterday when they were able to unseal uh, these furry woolly mammoths. And shockingly, in their, in, uh, you know, their system of their uh, stomach, they found little buttercup flowers that they had been chewing on when they were killed, died. What in the world, science has no great answer of like, where, where did those furry woolly mammoths find little flowers in the Arctic region during the ice age? Um, and there's huge theory on that. But I believe, along with Henry Morris talking about some of these things, he, there's, there's scientists that actually believe the earth was in a very different state. Like um, there was a greenhouse effect on the earth and maybe the whole earth was kind of more tropical, some suggest. Um, not, not all scientists would jump on board. I'm just telling you some theories out there. But theories that are legit that go with the flood idea. That is, there was like this water vapor canopy over the earth that protected the earth from harmful rays of the sun, which made people live longer, plus tropical, healthy environment. That's the way the earth started out in the days of Adam and Eve, I believe. So where did the water from the flood come from? Some say that water vapor canopy that was in the atmosphere collapsed Maybe God said, time's up, and poked it with a pin. I don't know. Uh, and it just went, and it flooded the whole earth. Um, and it's funny because science still tries to act like there was no global flood, even though there's fish fossils up on the top of mountain peaks and stuff like that. Like the fossil evidence doesn't uh, show evolution. In fact, it's shockingly absent. The intermediate species between all the evolutionary processes, there's almost zero fossil evidence um, uh, some people say, well, Brett, you didn't see Australopithecus man that they found in South Africa or whatever. Uh, th th those are always funny. They find a jawbone and then they shape it and say, that guy must've looked like this. And I look at those guys and I have buddies uh, that, uh, that I know that look like that guy. Like, I'm not sure, it's not Australopithecus, but that's Bill from the, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, but all that to say, uh, <laughs> But they don't have, a inter there should be billions of intermediate of a fossil evidence of all the intermediate species and, and stuff. They don't have that. Uh, don't get me wrong, there is microevolution, not macroevolution. Uh, that is, we see changes within the same species. There are tons of fossil evidence for that. But you don't see jumping from species to another. All that to say, um, so if the water vapor canopy collapses, suddenly the hydrological system of the earth changes very much. That's where rain starts happening. That's when people start living at the most around 120 years old. Um, and the Bible actually fits that narrative pretty radically. Um, so the world was very perfect, no disease, no death, and then the sin of man. And then from that point on, the laws of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics kicked in and everything's going from you know, order to disorder. Creation was order 
and everything after that's disorder and everything's falling apart. By the way, the furry woolly mammoth, did you know that they're trying to revive that? This kind of cracks me up. Can bring, this is a Smithsonian magazine. Can bringing back mammoths help stop climate change? Uh, there's a group that is working with the genetic code of the furry woolly mammoths trying to bring them back, along with the dodo bird. They're trying to bring the dodo bird back, as it turns out. Um, but this cracks me up because I, I sense a mixed message because climate change people are talking about how cows are the problem. It's all those flatulating cows that are destroying the ozone layer and the carbon, all this, the cows. Listen, this bad boy, he looks like a meth lab to me. Uh, I mean, compared to the cows out there in Kettleman City, California, uh, this guy looks like 10 cows, uh, just a walking flatulent, if you're asking me. But I do wonder what a ribeye from that dude would taste like. Are we gonna help climate change uh, with restoring the, scientists say, you know, creating hybrids of the extinct beasts could fix the Arctic tundra and stop greenhouse gas emissions. But before the fall of man, all creation was perfect. After sin, the earth went into that fallen state. And some people think that, you know, things are getting better and better, but they're really not. Everything's proving to do what the laws uh, of thermodynamics tell us. Um, so all this to say, um, you know, Noah started building the ark, by the way, he was 500 years old when he started the project. Uh, that's an interesting thing. Uh, Noah lived to be 950 years old. Uh, can you imagine, the, what were the days of Noah like? Well, people were living happily, eating, drinking, giving marriage. Um, the only weird thing that was going on during the days of Noah is Noah saying, hey, rain's coming. And people are like, what is rain? And he's building a boat. Like, what did the Homeowners Association have to say about that? I mean, it's one thing having an El Camino on blocks in front of your house. It's another thing having this uh, giant, you know, uh, boat that's three football fields long. Um, but Noah's building this ark, and it takes him around 75 to 100 years to build it. Um, but it, it's interesting because th it was during this time uh, where Noah was preaching God, and people were laughing. Uh, there's places in the New Testament that imply people were sort of mocking uh, Noah in his building of an ark and he's saying, what do you need that for? But can you imagine the first day a drop of rain fell from the sky and hit the dusty earth? And we're like, what was that? Where'd that come from? And then another drop and then another and then eventually rain starts coming and the people are like, uh, maybe there's a coincidence? But eventually people started worrying, I'm, I'm sure of it. you know. And, and then Noah, by this time, did Noah shut the door of the ark? No, God shut the door of the ark. There was a point where God said, time's up, click, and Noah and his family are already in the ark. He shuts the door of the ark, and people are like, oh no, what's, it? what's happened here? And the answer is, they were too late. They were caught unaware of what really was happening, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Just like the days of Noah, when people were sort of laughing at Noah, um, but then the rain came in the same way the second coming is gonna be. People are gonna be laughing at the idea of the second coming and the rapture of the church and the end times prophecies of the Bible. But there's gonna come a day where the world will say time's up, but it'll be too late by that time. You know who jumps on Jesus's uh, message here about days of Noah being linked to the second coming is Peter himself. Would you keep your finger here and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter three? It's toward the end of your Bible. Uh, it's easier to go back from Revelation. You have Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Keep going back and eventually you bump into 2 Peter. But it's 2 Peter uh, chapter three where Peter 
employs the illustration of Noah and the flood and then gives sort of a little bit of a commentary on what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about the flood of Noah being linked to the end times. It's right here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. And there it says, 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. One of the things to watch for is people making fun of Christians, Christianity, but specifically the second coming and prophecy stuff, Bible prophecy stuff. There come mockers and scoffers. And what's so sad to me, this is actually tragic because we're seeing that. Would you agree? If you're a Bible prophecy person and you study that, have you noticed the scoffers have increased? And it's not just the secularist or the atheist. It's actually people within the church of Jesus Christ that are scoffing. Well, where is the promise of, you guys have been talking about the rapture of the church for ages. Nothing has changed. It's all the same. You guys are all wacko. Like we're hearing that more and more. And when I hear that, do I get all upset? No, I go, you know what? This is so exciting. You're fulfilling Bible prophecy as we speak. What do you mean? Well, this is what Peter says. Now, why are they scoffing? There's a reason that this is where it gets really tragic, especially when it comes to this idea of people in the so-called church who scoff at studying the second coming of Christ. There's a reason given in the Bible why they do it. It's there in verse three. They're scoffing in the last days, walking after their own lusts. One of the reasons some people don't wanna talk about end times and they make fun of it or scoff about the Bible and prophecy and stuff like that is because people are really just walking after their own lusts. They wanna do what they wanna do and they don't wanna let it go of their sin or what they perceive as their life. Um, And so they make up this wacko argument and he goes on in verse four. It says, these people who are walking after their own lusts, verse four, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Is that true? Have things always continued exactly the same as it has from the beginning of creation? Well, whoever's saying that is missing one big thing, Noah and the flood. Noah and the flood, would you agree, if you're a Bible-believing Christian and you believe Noah and the flood happened, wouldn't you agree that was a pretty big event on the earth's timeline? Everybody on the planet was killed, except for eight people. Kind of a big event. Big event. I mean, we, we measure big events, 9-11. That was a big event in the world that shook the world. Maybe you've been following uh, a week and a half ago, Turkey and Syria had that earthquake. I don't know what the numbers are yet, but every time I look, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people were killed a week and a half ago um, in this horrible earthquake. You know, these cataclysmic events, but the biggest one by far was the death of everyone except for eight people when the flood happened. And, and Peter's pointing out, you guys are omitting that. You're saying the earth has happened and nothing's changed. Where's the promise of the coming and the end of the world? You know, uh, things have continued the same from the beginning. And Peter's like, you forgot something. And that's where he says, verse five, for this they are willingly ignorant of. They're purposefully forgetting that by the word of God, the heavens were of old of the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. Peter says, you guys forgot, you guys are willingly, purposely forgetting that the wrath of God was poured out on the world during the flood. You're purposefully, willfully forgetting that. And then Peter says, but you're so deceived because, verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, 
are kept in store reserved to fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter's Peter's saying, you guys are willingly not wanting to talk about the end times because you want to hang on to your sinful lifestyles and you're purposefully forgetting Noah and the flood and you're saying, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But he says, don't you understand the earth, the same thing's going to happen except instead of water, it's going to be by fire. Isn't this interesting what's going on today? Um, Everybody, if you were born in the last 20 years, you think the rainbow was invented by the LGBTQIA, ABCDEFG community. Uh, The rainbow is owned by the gays. But that's not where the rainbow came. The rainbow came when Noah and his family came out of the ark and the Lord said, I promise that I will not destroy the earth with a flood like I've done this time ever again not with a flood. And he gave the rainbow as a sign, but, and that's great. And I love the rainbow for that. But if you're a Christian, you definitely feel like your rainbow has been hijacked. But isn't it interesting? People don't put this together. Some people say, well, the the, the gay is just like the rainbow. There's more to it than that. Because God says, I'm not gonna flood the world because in the days of Noah, it was so bad I flooded the world. The next time it happens, it's gonna be by fire. And that's a promise. And so isn't it interesting that the, the most corrupted, sinful part of our community and life in the world today is saying rainbow is our mantra, our flag. It's actually, it's not just the unfortunate coincidence that they stole the rainbow. It's actually flying in the face of God saying we reject God and whatever about destruction of the earth. We're gonna willingly be ignorant of the flood so that we can do our ungodly acts and deeds. It's flying in the face of God. But this, they don't understand that destruction comes, even as it says here in verse seven, there's gonna be fire during the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now you say, but this is getting heavy. Yep, verse eight goes on though. It says in Second Peter verse eight, verse, chapter three, verse eight, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is Peter sort of twisting time, saying a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years with the Lord is a day? It's because the argument is nothing's changed in thousands of years. Um, and so we're gonna just keep doing our thing. But Peter's saying, yeah, but a day with the Lord is a thousand years. In God's economy, it's only been a couple of days in time frame. And the time is coming soon, is the implication, soon. Well, soon could be a thousand years, yes, but it's already been a few days if you're saying a day with the Lord is a thousand years. And he says, the reason the Lord is not, he's not lazy, or the word slack is the word here, but he's not lazy concerning the promise of his coming, but why does God continue to be patient? Um, is there a time where God's just gonna say, you know what, that's enough? Well, the answer is yes. If I were God, I would have been tempted to do it on Grammy night. You know what, I've had it. You know, as I watch, you know, Sam dress up like the devil and have a little seance, uh, wacko dance with transgender, LGBTQIA community celebration. What a, like, you can't make this stuff up. It's like, this guy's celebrating Satan and demons. and, And I gotta commend Sam because he totally gets it right. He's making the correlation between transgenderism and, and you know, non-binary, LGBTQ. He's putting all in, in a demonic uh, thing where Satan's involved. I say, yeah, he got that right. 
Meanwhile, all the Hollywood elites, that's such a wonderful celebration. And then at the end, this part of the Grammys has been sponsored by Pfizer. (laughs) Like, you can't make this stuff up. Are you kidding me? Well, that's the Grammys. If I were God, I'd say, it's time for the fire. They want fire, I'll give them fire, uh, as they had fire in the little show at the Grammys, but it was an LED screen, it wasn't real fire. The Lord says, I can, I can do the real thing. Why doesn't God do that? Peter tells us, he, God is so merciful that he's not willing that anyone would perish. That's the heart of God. Meanwhile, the world's saying, yeah, whatever, God. And God's saying, oh, but I don't want anyone to perish. Do you see the end of that verse nine? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what needs to happen is people need to repent of their sins. And the world right now is saying, yeah, whatever, God. Um, Well, Peter mentions that just out of the reminder that God is compassionate and patient and merciful. But, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. See, global warming is real. (laughs) Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, Peter's asking a question that pertains to you and me because I believe we're living in the days that are similar to the days of Noah and the world is saying, yeah, whatever, God, and, and there, we're, we're, the ungodly are going rampant against the Lord, and the Lord's patiently waiting. So Peter says, what, what should you, church, be if you're living in these days, which I think we are? What are you supposed to be? He says this, verse 12, we're to be looking for and hastening unto. That means hoping that it hurries up, wanting it to come quickly. There was a word the early church used, maranatha, which was them saying, come quickly, Lord. Like, because things were tough for them. They were like, oh, we want the Lord to come quickly. What are we to do? Looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, if you were with us last week, we went over some timeline issues And about the new heaven and new earth, that's where we all live happily ever after. That's what we all can look forward to in eternity, to be with the Lord, where there's glory and beauty and eternal uh, life through Christ. Um, But Peter says, until then, we're to be looking for and hastening to. And um, then verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. So we're supposed to look for the coming of the Lord, hope for its hastening, that it'll come quickly, And then we're supposed to be diligent, diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. This is something we're gonna see on Wednesday night. Jesus is gonna talk about what is the diligent Christian doing? He's the faithful servant busy about the work of the Lord in the last days. The wicked servant's like, yeah, the Lord delays his coming, whatever, and starts smiting his brother and doing a bunch of wacko stuff. Um, That's the wicked servant. We're gonna see more about this, but Peter lines up with Jesus perfectly on this. He's looking, he's, he wants people to be looking for his coming, which means watching, waiting, ready, and even hoping for its hurry uh, that it'll come up quickly. And then being diligent, verse 14, that you may be found of him in peace. And then verse 15, an account that the long suffering of our Lord and the salvation, even our beloved brother Paul, uh, also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written you. We're supposed to be looking for and waiting diligently for his return. 
This is what Peter says in relation to the days of Noah. He said, just like the days of Noah, as they, the water came and you know, wiped them all out, the same thing's gonna happen, only this time it's gonna be fire. And in a world that's flying the rainbow flag pridefully, uh, in flying it in God's face, there's gonna come a time, and I, I believe it could be in the near future. What were the days of Noah like? Was homosexuality part of the deal? Oh, huh. the sexuality of Noah's time was nothing to uh, write mom about. It was a horrible, horrible time. Do you wanna know what the days of Noah are? I think we need to look into this because Jesus said, as the days of Noah, so will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. So let's do a little exercise here. Flip over to Genesis chapter six real quick. It's in Genesis chapter six, we actually see uh, the clear description. It's even almost like a list that Moses, when he, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes the story of Genesis. Uh, it's like this list of what was going on during the days of Noah. And, um, and as we look at Genesis chapter six, understand this, um, try to recognize anything that might be similar to the days we live. And, and there's some stuff that's almost understated here. I'll show you what I mean. The first verse in chapter six, it says, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. They were multiplying. The word multiply is um, not that it just was an average multiplication. The, the Hebrew word implies um, exponential multiplication um, and population growth. Uh, now, now, here's the question. How, how many people could have lived on the earth during the days of Noah? Um, because, you know, we know about the exponential curve of population growth right now. What's that all about? Well, did Noah have a population explosion? The answer is yes. And there's actually some interesting reasons why. If you're jotting down notes, you might write down the number one days of Noah thing we notice is a population explosion. Men of the earth began to multiply. And the idea is multiply over multiply. Uh, exponential growth. Um, do we see that today? Uh, population explosion? Um, well, that's an understatement. It's so weird to think, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, I have seen the population of the earth double in my lifetime. In fact, in a few years, I will be able to say I've seen the population of the earth triple. By, they say 2037, we're gonna reach nine billion people on the earth by 2037. So I will have seen the population triple uh, in just a few short years. Um, interesting, the first billion people, how long did it take to get from Noah? As Bible believers, we'll start with Noah. Uh, you know, the, the secular world starts, you know, 10,000 BCE or whatever. Uh, but I believe the population kind of starts over, reset, uh, in, uh, in the days of Noah. So from the, from the days of Noah, where eight people were saved, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three, the three wives of the sons, eight people, um, how long did it take to get to the first billion people? Well, it took quite a long time. From Noah all the way to 1804. It was 1804 when the world reached the first billion people. Pretty long time. But because of the exponential growth and the, the way that this works out, um, by 1804, how long did it take to get from one billion to two billion? Well, that was only to 1927. Like 120 years. So the first one took thousands of years. Um, the the, the first, second billion only took 150 years. Uh, and that got us to two billion people. Then from 1927, uh, how long did it take it to three billion? Only to 1960. Three billion people on the planet in 1960. 
Um, and then, you know, the exponential curve starts getting steeper and steeper because from 1960 till 2022, we've went from 3 billion people to 8 billion people. Um, it's amazing. One of my favorite things to kind of watch, I know I'm a nerd, but the Worldometer, go to worldometer.com. And this, this is actually an active, lively ticker showing deaths and births in real time right now. We're seeing real time right now. There's 8 billion, 16 million, 238,275, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. Like, like that's, that's the world right now, just growing. Um, and and it, it shows the deaths. Even today, there's been 110,722 deaths uh, on the earth today. Um, and births, 15 million births. Uh, I mean, this is, I know, nerdy. You can even look at your own country and see what the population's doing. Some are going down. China's actually going down, interestingly. And um, India's going up. In fact, some are saying India's gonna pass China in population here pretty soon. Um, but, but with all that said, here's a secular graph. I say that because it doesn't include Noah or anything like that, but it takes it you know, from theoretically 12,000 years. But this is the exponential curve that we're looking at. Um, in population explosion. Would you say we're living in a population explosion right now? When you look at this graph, uh, it's ridiculous how fast we're growing. But th what, what, what is attributed to such exponential growth today? Well, it has to do with life expectancy. That's the biggest factor. Those that are population uh, you know, studiers, uh, they say it has to do with the, our, our longevity. Did you know the, the, the average person today lives to be 79 years old? Um, it's the highest it's, it's ever been in history, uh, life expectancy, unless you were pre-Noah flood where they lived to be 900 and something. But um, the average uh, is 79. In the year 2000, it was 76 years. Um, uh, by the way, uh, interesting, uh, did you know life expectancy in the year 1900? If you were born in 1900, the average life expectancy in America was 47 years old. Um, Go back to the first century of Jesus Christ. This is shocking. You, you won't believe this. Uh, you know what the life expectancy in Jesus' day was? 25 to 30 is what they say. Uh, it's, it's quite a ways back, so they don't want to nail it down too tight. But somewhere between 25 and 30. You say, how can that be? Infant mortality rate. If you were a pregnant mother, the chances of you dying or your child dying was really high back in the first century. Um, it was a dangerous venture to have a child in, uh, in historic times. But that was one of the reasons populations didn't boom as much is because of uh, the infant mortality rate. Uh, but what's happened? By the way, here's an, uh, I, I, again, I'm nerding out here, but amazing stat. Two thirds of all people who have lived on the earth ever in history that have reached the age of 65. Of all the people in history that have reached the age of 65, two thirds of those people are still alive today. Um, what that tells us is we live in a very different time where people are living very long. Um, people feel in our day and age, if you live, if you die as an 80 year old, like, oh, they went so early, you know. Um, in the olden days, they would have thought, wow, they lived a long, full life. Um, but th those are changing. And by the way, that's been our goal. You know, um, this is a CBS News article. Harvard researchers say changing DNA in mice appears to be reversing aging. And science is working on that. We're on this desperate quest to have immortality and reverse 
the signs of aging. I don't think we'll ever do it because of the second law of thermodynamics. They might be able to give a mouse a shot and make it not have his gray hair or something like that. Uh, it might grow a couple extra heads or something, but other than that, hey, it's great. Living longer with our three heads and stuff. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Never seems to work out. But the idea is, why was there population during the Noah's time versus our day? We can, we can attribute it to our medical advancements. You know, it's amazing, our medical advancements. In 1862, we figured out germs. Um, that's, that seems fairly recent, but the, world, uh, the Civil War brought about all kinds of medical advance, advancement. Uh, germ theory and disease was really dialed in in 1862. The use of antiseptic and operating procedures, even washing hands happened in 1867 before surgery. Doctors didn't wash their hands before surgery, before 1867. X-ray in 1895, uh, aspirin in 1897, blood type, that solved all kinds of medical issues when we realized the different blood types in 1900. Insulin in 1921, penicillin in 1928. Because of all these medical advancements, infection and death was greatly decreased. And because of that, we've seen this population uh, explosion uh, in our day that we lived. You say, well, Brett, what would have been the thing that would have made a population explosion in Noah's day? That's an easy answer. Anybody want to take a guess? What? It's how long people were living. 900 years. If you, the, the death rate would be astronomically low because if you lived 900 years, like this is stuff that's hard for us to get our brains around. You know, Noah lived to be 950. Um, Noah could have been a contemporary of Methuselah because remember Methuselah lived way past nine, 900 years old, but Methuselah could have been a contemporary of Adam and Adam and Eve. They could have been alive at the same time. Um, like this is because of, of the age uh, of people in those days. So um, when those that understand and believe the biblical account of how old people were living, they believe the population during the flood was Interesting number, and they, they said this like, you know, 60 years ago uh, when the population of the earth was less than 3 billion. They said during Noah's day, the population was somewhere around 8 billion people. Um, so that's the first thing we read in Genesis chapter six is the multiplication of population was part of the days of Noah. I think that's interesting because that's what we're seeing today in our day. Number two, Verse two through four, um, it, it's gonna tell us not only population explosion, but number two, sexual immorality. It says in verse two, the sons of, uh, it says, you know, daughters of, were born unto men, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives, all of which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be 100 in 20 years. Right before the flood of Noah, God says, enough of this 900-year-old stuff. The average age is gonna be somewhere closer to 120, or people will live somewhere up to around 120. Um, and then there's a strange little thing here, verse four, and there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. What in the world's going on here? Well, honestly, I don't have time to go into this and you'll think I'm a weirdo if I even try. Um, this is, I'm gonna say it fast. You, if you're interested, I did a whole study on this in Genesis chapter six, we dove, dove in deep. What's going on with these sons of God going into the daughters of men? It wasn't just wonderful weddings between young guys and girls. There's a demonic 
influence that has jumped into the world at this point, corrupting the seed of humanity. That's what's going on here. And that's why God says, my spirit's not always gonna strive with man. There's gonna be a time where I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Um, and what happened? In context of that statement, there were giants in the earth. Nephilim is the word there, which is kind of interesting. Again, you know, the pipe puffing, cardigan sweater wearing, there were never giants really on the earth. <laughs> we know, but which is amazing anthropologically and even archeologically, we've seen evidence of things we found about legends of giant people on the planet, not just in the region of Bible lands, um, but actually in South America, there's legends and folklore of, that have been passed through the ages of giants that once walked the earth. Bible says that happened. God, during the days of Noah, said time's up. Why did he say time's up at the days of Noah? And it had to do with the, the word that we're gonna talk about a little later called corruption. But it's not just corruption like mafia or uh, the government of Ukraine or the government of Russia or the government, even worse still, of the United States. Corruption. It's not that kind of corruption, which is very rampant today, if you ask me. But the idea is corruption of the seed of humanity. Even, you might even say the genetic makeup of humanity. Something happened pre-flood where the sons of God came in and had sexual intimacy with the daughters of men and it was demonically influenced that brought about a, a race, men of renown, a race of giants. And the idea is of reputation, not good is the idea. That's why if you look fast forward to verse nine, this is, and these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. Um, what, what, what's this language? Noah's not corrupt in his generations. It's, it's not about that he was a great guy and he's perfect and sinless. Um, it's because his genetics had not been corrupted yet in his generations. His, he was still pure and the Lord says, I'm gonna have Noah be the one who makes it through the flood so that the corruption that happened back there in verse three and four uh, is not gonna continue as much through the flood uh, years. Um, was Noah a perfect man? No. The last story we see of Noah is the one you didn't color in Sunday school, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he stripped himself naked and gets in his tent, gets drunk and starts busting a move in his tent. <laughs> There's Noah just partying down naked in his tent and his sons are like, you know, it, it, that, that's the last thing we see Noah doing. So he wasn't perfect. But the, 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 the context here is the Lord says, no, he was, he was better though than, than most, but more importantly, just in his behavior, it had to do with his, um, he was not corrupted by this new world during the days of Noah. It does make one wonder, what are we doing today as we're trying to change genders and we're, our sexual immorality is just, whatever we wanna do, we're saying, yes, green light that. And it's becoming more and more immoral today. And the United States, we lead the charge in immorality. It's heartbreaking to see what's happening with the sexual immorality on the, on the planet. And I believe as God was displeased with the world at that time in the days of Noah because of the population explosion, along with the sexual immorality that was going on, God finally said, time's up. When is he gonna say time's up now? As we uh, are mutilating children, in the name of sexuality. 
<coughs> we're sexualizing children. You know, this is a not to be uh, article, which is their real news um, compared to their satire. Uh, but they were showing, there was a report that was done that says America is the worst ca- uh, country on earth for pushing transgender ideology and prescribing uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to children. Compared to nearly a dozen European countries that have implemented more strenuous barriers for youth seeking to obtain drugs and body mutilating surgeries to look, for, uh, to look more like the opposite sex. Even the Europeans, for crying out loud, are saying, yeah, those Americans are wacko trying to push transgenderism down the throat of their children. But that's, the, that's where we are. There, I get a sense, and maybe I'm wrong, but the Lord is long-suffering and patient, not willing that anyone should perish, but there's gonna come a point where God's gonna say, enough. And I, I'd be shocked if that wasn't soon. When, when will God say, okay, we're, we're done with that mutilation of children and the world being like the days of Noah? Well, as far as population explosion, we're there. As far as sexual immorality, we're there. And maybe we're, we would make Noah's day blush compared to what it was then. Number three on the list is worldwide wickedness. www.flood. Let's check it out. Verse five, it says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Um, The wickedness in the world today, I believe, grieves the Lord. The Bible does tell us that. And we're constantly perverting and making wickedness just come out of every direction. You know, you don't have to live long in this world to see how corrupted we are. You watch 30 seconds of Netflix, you're gonna see corruption and you know, grotesque sin that grieves the Lord. Um, just watch a movie trailer. The movie trailers, how do they try to lure you to watch a movie? Violence, adultery, uh, you know, murder, crass behavior, language. They'll, they'll just make sure that they put that in. So, oh, we wanna watch that movie, that looks exciting. Um, Is that pleasing to the Lord? I believe that's what we're seeing, worldwide wickedness. But the next thing is violence is part of the thing of Noah's day, verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Just like Jesus said, wars and rumors of wars, but I believe the violence goes um, beyond that. The idea is enjoying violence, uh, enjoying being a part of it, enjoying seeing it, Um, We're living in a day where we're watching people be violent just for the sake of being violent. Um, I'm reminded of Romans chapter one. We won't go through this whole thing for sake of time, but you know, Romans, you can jot this down, you know, it's one verses 28 through 32. He talks about how he's gonna give humanity over to itself for their reprobate mind who do the things which are not convenient or right and gives a huge list, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. We're doing that left and right. And on and on it goes. And it says, who knowing the judgment of God, verse 32, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only so do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It's, it's not even that you have to be involved with the people that are, in engaging in homosexuality. When it says they're in that list um, without natural affection, um, that's what that, that list is including, um, the homosexual agenda. But those who have pleasure in them that do them are kind of guilty of the same thing. Uh, we're, we've reached that day 
um, worldwide wickedness is, is kind of where we are, violence, and then also, uh, and we're gonna wrap it up here, number five, corruption. Look at verse 12. It says, and the God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. I think we're seeing all of these things happen. Violence, corruption. Speaking of violence, um, you know, um, uh, you know, Coin News uh, told us at the end of this last year, record-breaking Portland homicides. Um, it's really sad because we're seeing that all this corruption and all the stuff we're listing up close in Portland. Uh, this article says the year was fraught with violence, 2022, with record-breaking homicide numbers. The lowest police staffing in the city has seen in decades. Meanwhile, the city had 96 homicides up from 2021's 90, which was already a, a record-breaking year. Um, we're living in violent times. I have police officer friends who've told me they signed up to protect and serve but day after day, they're finding dead people in their houses from um, uh, fentanyl and drug overdose. And some of these people have been in their home dead for a month. And the, 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 their new job description is going in and finding these dead, like it's become a horror show here in Portland to be a, a law enforcement officer. And it's depressing. And I don't even know how our police officers do it. Um, but uh, heart, heartbreaking to see how Portland's really the cutting edge of the days of Noah, we're, we're there, uh, no question about it. But before we leave chapter six and all this, you might be saying, Brett, this is great, really encouraging, thanks a lot. <laughs> Brought grandma to church today, real, real embarrassing. Uh, well, before we leave on such a sour and dour note, remember it's not doom and gloom when we talk about the end times, it's boom and zoom. And even in the story of Noah, I love, there's a little snippet in here before we leave Genesis six, verse eight is marked in my Bible. And I love it. It says in verse eight, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's how people are saved. In Noah's day, he was saved because he found grace. What is grace? Undeserved, unearned favor that God has for a person. Didn't do anything to get it. God just gave it for the sake of giving it. That's what grace is. That's the lovely song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Um, that's what grace is. We're wretched, miserable sinners, but God shows us his unending um, love to an undeserving people. That's grace, that's what grace is. That's how you and I are gonna be saved in the second one. The flood, Noah was saved by grace, but in the same way, you and I are gonna be saved by grace in the same way. Ephesians 2, 8 reminds us of that when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's why if you're hearing all the doom and gloom part of this, I understand how that could kind of freak people out, but not if you're a Christian. If you have repented of your sins and accepted the grace of God, how you're saved by believing in faith that God sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world that you might be saved. That's the beauty of the whole story. That's why we can talk about the end times with smiles on our faces, with hopes that open our hearts, because it's not about death and destruction for the, the believer. Um, we look forward to um, eternal life with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In the meantime, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, that's what Jesus' words are all about. Look, watch, be sober, be vigilant, because the Lord, he's coming. There's gonna come a time that will take the world just like it took the world in, in the flood days, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. People will be ready, others will not. Um, the question is, which one are you? Hopefully you're ready for when that time comes.
Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom as we study these days of Noah, like Jesus referred to. I pray that we would uh, recognize the days that we're in, Lord, and that we'd be looking for and hastening the day um, when you come and intervene into the world. Uh, we look forward to it knowing that you've saved us by grace through faith. And if there's anyone who's yet to believe or accept the gift of salvation, I pray that they'd humble their hearts, repent of their sin and confess with their mouth and believe um, that you will forgive them as they confess their belief in the cross. Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that many would be saved because Lord, there's so much evidence that we're living in those last days. Help us to be busy about the work of your kingdom, Lord. Bless these, your people who've taken this time to study this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.